John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. access entry 939.mk0511, certificate number 43259. The pig war. There's a pig war? So, yes, there's a war called the pig war, and it was a nonviolent war. Well, uh, like no shots were fired. Well, I'm picturing pigs, you know, flying on biplanes and dropping bombs on each other, like Richard's scary pigs, but like they're really angry. Right, flying pigs. Yeah, there's been a variety of different... Uh, Pigs at war. Flying vehicles, dirigibles and whatnot. I bet you, so this is one of the amazing things about living on Earth right now, where we do not have complete omniscience. I bet you there are moments where pigs, enough pigs congregate in one place that are like violent pigs, that there, ha- there has been what would constitute an actual pig war. We just can't know about it. That seems a little racist, like... If you get enough of these pigs together in one place, you know how they are. Well, you know how they start to get violent. Have is you this, ever spent any time? True? Have you ever spent any time with a with like a like a boar? Have you ever seen a boar in the wild? I don't think I have ever seen a boar in the wild. A boar is a fearsome character. It has a it has tusks. Sure, and they are carnivores. But wait, are are our domesticated pigs the same species? Is it like wolves and? It's like wolves and dogs? dogs? Yeah, I think so. I think if you let a domesticated pig loose in the wild, within a few generations, it will start exhibiting boar-like characteristics. It'll lose its pink skin and go back to kind of a like a thick, coarse fur, and maybe tusks will start to grow even. It's like Lord of the Flies, except he wouldn't have a pig's head, obviously. Right. He'd have like a human head on a stick. Right. So you think just putting a pig in the wild, he could like... I think over time, it's like the if you had Dr. Dog. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. If you take if you take any breed of dog and set it loose in the streets of of Sao Paulo, eventually all dogs revert to this sort of general mid sized yellow furred, like basically looks like an African dog. You're implying this will happen in like one generation. Well, <laughs> like, the dog, like the dog starts to shrink. Or the Chihuahua starts to grow. <laughs> yeah, you've got a you've got a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. They have a baby that's somewhere in the middle. That dog mates with another middle dog, and pretty soon it just 
Because you know you 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 can have several generations. In You're not saying a few weeks after leaving your dog in the favela, it turns into an African wild dog. Like no, it's, no, it's like it's. I don't like, know how many generations, but like be, like sitting on an armchair is the only thing keeping my my little <laughs> poodle mix from turning into a hyena. If you set your poodle mix free, he would be uh he would be like uh raptor food. I bet you in within a week, some peregrine falcon would pick him up and carry him off. Well, pigs are, are pets now, right? I mean, pigs must have good dispositions as domesticated animals. Doesn't George Clooney, didn't he have a, a pot-bellied pig that no. he would fly on his jet with Don't or whatever? Don't tell me that. I, I, I want to maintain a little bit of respect for George Clooney. <laughs> you do? Carrying a tiny bit of a tiny pig, <laughs> pet pig in his purse. And, well, there wasn't, and there was a news story about the woman that wanted to bring her emotional support pig on the plane. Do well, you remember this? sure. I mean, the and emotional... And then the pig just started to crap in the aisle. <laughs> the emotional support turkey is one of my favorite, favorite stories of, uh, of our era. I mean, speaking to futurelings who may either not make and uh, not be able to make sense of this, or maybe everyone has a familiar. They may, uh, they may have no domesticated animals, or they may be some kind of Doctor Moreau human animal hybrids. True, we don't know. True, it could be. I mean, I have always, from the time I was young, I wanted a little dragon or a little imp of some kind that sat on my shoulder and I could send flying off to. Like to, get, to curse your enemies, <laughs> or yeah, or like get me a tangerine. I mean, I, yeah, there's oh, a lot of things good. you could do, not right? poop on your enemies, <laughs> or just harass my enemies. Just sort of, they would never touch the enemy. They just sort of fly around. I it. have a mosquito familiar that sits on my shoulder, and I can send it out to just irritate people by flying in their ears briefly. Well, anyway, the pig war was an actual event that happened in um, in what we now call the area between Washington and Canada. Uh, which was an, an area that was the ownership of it was in dispute for many years after the rest of the border between the United States and Canada was pretty well established. This is a war with Canada, like in that Michael Moore movie? Yes, the United States and Canada uh, had, a, had a dispute over the ownership of some islands, and it lasted for many, many, many years. And it got to the point where armed camps were like, arrayed against one another, threatening war. And it all began, well, there's a group of islands within the Puget Sound region called the San Juan Islands, named yes. after the largest of them, San Juan. I have been to the San Juan Islands many a time. We're, we're actually recording in here in Seattle, not, not far from not that far. part of the world. Right. These are areas that we have vacationed in. But this is during a period of time when the Hudson Bay Company, which was a Canadian enterprise and, you know, a, a, like one of those like the East India Company. Right, it's um, sort of a state. Semi-private. Yeah, semi-private, but but functioning almost as an ambassador. It's pretty much a state. government. A colonial enterprise. Uh, the Hudson Bay Company had pioneered out here and kind of claimed everything north of the Columbia River for Canada. North of the Columbia. North of the Columbia. So, and, so Oregon would have been American, but what we now know as Washington State would have been part of the British Empire in this scenario. right. And then the Oregon Territory was expanded to include what we now call Washington. And, and the border between America and Canada was established at about the 49th parallel. Where it is today. Where it is today. Uh, but at, in establishing that, it was left kind of ambiguous how you would draw that line within, the, within Puget Sound. Right, because Vancouver Island drops below 
the 49th parallel. Exactly. So to keep that whole island on the British side, right. the border is going to have to dip somewhere. Right. Oh, and that's and you're absolutely right that there was no, strictly Canada was not its own nation. It was part of the British. Right. Empire. We're saying Canada, but right. uh, like, and Canada always takes credit for this stuff. Like if you ever meet a Canadian, like they'll tell you in the first six minutes, hey, we, uh, we burned down your White House in, uh, in 1813 uh, right. or whatever. Good one. But it's like, uh, no, yeah, you were... It was not you. You were British people. Those And those were British people who had like been fighting Napoleon and then came over and stayed overnight in Nova Scotia and then came down. So I'm, I'm glad you're <laughs> proud of what you as a nation have done, but really it was just your trees basically. So there was, there was a treaty, but the treaty said something like the border between Britain and America is the main channel through this set of islands. Okay. But there are... There were at least three reasonable candidates for what the main channel was. And of course, the American side wanted it to be the northernmost channel, giving America all of the San Juan Islands, and the the British wanted it to be the southernmost. So during this period, there aren't a, a ton of people in that region, and there was a British outpost on San Juan Island, but there were American settlers kind of just just showing up and planting a stake and cutting some trees and starting a farm. And it, it is crazy to think in the 1850s, like in all of the Oregon territory, there were like maybe a few hundred white American settlers, Yeah, you know, in this vast area, the size of, you know, whatever it's the size of Western well, Europe. Yeah. Giant, giant area. Right. Yeah, sure. It would be about Western Europe uh, because the state of Washington is about the size of France. Is that right? So there's like a, there's just like a few hundred people there, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's now the, it's the new hot thing. But, you know, these people had just gotten to, you know, Minnesota or whatever, Ohio. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, the frontier was still in Indiana for in a lot in a lot of senses. Yeah, I love how Ohio used to be the Northwest Territory. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, baby, we're the Northwest. You're not the Northwest. <laughs> and people were arriving both overland on the Oregon Trail in covered wagons and right. also kind of coming up from San Francisco, which was well established by then, post-Gold Rush. And coming up by boat, you know, kind of exploiting the natural resources here. But some people wanted to settle. I mean, they say that San Francisco, prior to the earthquake, was built out of lumber from the Pacific Northwest. Oh, it was, it was that was the business up here even then. Yeah, sending logs Timber. down almost immediately. The founding of Seattle was in 1853, and the first thing they did was build a sawmill. Well, I mean, the forests are so thick here, you know, almost to have a place to put a settlement. Right. You're going to have to start cut cutting trees. down trees. But also coal was a major export, and we sent all of our coal to San Francisco, which also powered their San Fran's famous San Franciscan coal factories. Coal-powered, uh, you know, like mills. I don't know <laughs> if those are famous. No, they aren't at We're, all. We can persuade our future listeners that... Oliver Twist was set in San Francisco. <laughs> the sooty San Francisco of the past. So at some point, there was a considerable amount of uh, tension in the San Juans because there were these Americans who were obviously behaving like Americans do loud, loud and yelling at the waiter and throwing their garbage on the ground. And then on the other side of the Island, the British were having high tea, uh, and being, you know, British. So the British, uh, they, they, they're the Hudson Bay company position is they own the Island, but Americans are starting to move in. Just coming in. Sort of squatting. Squatting. There goes the neighborhood. Precisely squatting. And because it was ambiguous where the border was, it wasn't entirely enforceable. You couldn't chase people out because it was still more or less being deliberated somewhere. Hey, speaking of the border being a little ambiguous, uh, 
Have you ever been to Point Roberts? So I know about Point Roberts, which is the one little finger. Uh, it's a peninsula, right? Uh, so if, yeah, if you draw the 49th parallel across, it cuts across uh, right at the northwesternmost point of Washington. It cuts across the border and then a little peninsula hangs down from Canada, but it goes right across the 49th parallel. And somehow they didn't make an exception for it. Right. And so there's an international border right there. And, and the American side of Point Roberts is what? Uh, there's a little town, but it's very small. It's not. What is it? Like a like a hundred acres or even that? Yeah, maybe. It's. I mean, it's big enough for a little town, but um, I know the kids can't go to school. Like, they go to school, they have to cross two international borders. They get on their bus, go up through Canada, and then come back down into... Oh, you so know. it's a little bigger. There's enough. There's there's enough that there's... There's a, apparently some farms and shops, and but, you know, the Canadians can turn off the water at any time. Well, and uh, do the Canadians go down and buy cheap gas? Is, did I hear that story? I think that's true. I think yeah. there's always people going back and forth. Go uh, down to... Americans to, buying uh, pharmaceuticals. Walmart and... Canadians and buying... Uh, Chick-fil-A. Slim Jims. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so this all came to a head one fine spring day when a man named Lyman Cutler found a pig rooting in his vegetable garden and eating his potatoes. Oh, man. And this wasn't the first time this pig had performed this act of trespass. I like how this particular pig, this pig. Is, is a villainous pig. Well, this is the pig that precipitated this whole problem. This one pig. This starts, one pig. Like, starts some angle. The U.S. and Britain, if you ask most people in our time, future people, they would say the U.S. and Britain had not been at war since the War of 1812. Right. But now we know that 50 years later, this pig is getting into it. This pig starts it up again. And uh, the pig actually belongs to a, to a British guy named Charles Griffin. And Charles Griffin is of the opinion, first of all, that the Americans are squatters. And second of all, uh, you know, pigs got a pig, right? This is what pigs do. He, has, he doesn't keep his pigs in a pen, apparently. He He's has... a sheep farmer, but I think you don't feed pigs at this time. You just set them loose in the forest and the pigs go root around, and find their grubs or whatever pigs are up to. It was a simpler time, just pigs wandering the streets. Yeah. I think every everybody just, just wandered around doing their thing. But do you think he would brand his pigs mm, so they knew? Oh, those are Charles Griffin's pigs. This might even be a time when you would recognize a friend's pig on site. Right? You'd say like, oh, I know that pig. It's one of the Griffin pigs. And I think that's what happened with Lyman Cutler. He got tired of this one particular pig and he figured, well, you know, it's trespassing. And he shot the pig. Oh. Shot and killed the pig. Shot it dead. Well, Charles Griffin was obviously furious and said, you know, you you have no right to be here and certainly have no right to kill my British pig. And Lyman was like remorseful at first and said, well, you know, he was eating my potatoes, but I'll give you 10 bucks for the pig. And in 1859, 10 bucks was a lot of money, but... Charles, in a very British way, I might say, uh, stood on ceremony and said that he would take no less than $100 for the pig. It seems like you're very much going to be on the American side here. You, you still feel the, the sting deeply. Well, not only am I an American, but I'm a Washingtonian, and I, I routinely vacation on San Juan Island, so I do have some skin in this game. You don't want that to be, in, you don't want to have to clear customs. Except just to I, go to the beach. Except I do see some national characteristics here, right? I mean, Lyman is an, an American, I think clearly squatting, rude, pig killing. He did not go to the, you know, he doesn't capture the pig and bring it back. He or... didn't go try and arbitrate this He's with a, the governor. Fr frontier justice. That's the American That's right. way, right? That's right. I, 
my second American rights. And I think he probably doesn't recognize the British authority to adjudicate this problem. So he just does the American thing, the, the Andrew Jackson American thing, which is put his blunderbuss up to this pig and, and the pig's just eating potatoes. Come on, how much are potatoes worth? In Andrew Jackson's case, it would have been an Indian, but right. But I get you. I get what you're saying. Like that's how the frontier worked. That's you know, how the frontier you didn't worked. you didn't uh, submit a complaint and and wait a couple weeks. Unless you were British Canadian, which is very <laughs> much in their character, national character. Well, if this guy's so polite, why is he demanding a hundred dollars for a well because $10 he's pig? A, because he's a snob. He's a you know I could see that happening, right? I mean, have you ever tried to merge in traffic? in any English city, <laughs> you might as well, you might as well be trying to like, like steal their wallet. They are not going to let you merge if you have, if you have failed to queue properly. And that like failure to queue. I see. Is, is like symbolic of a larger sense of. It's a class structure. Yeah. I sense that you've done something a little bit wrong by shooting my pig. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to stick it to you. Right. There's a little bit of like retributive justice, right? This is not just uh, compensating me for the pig. It's also a fine. And it's also, you shouldn't be here to begin with, right. you American squatter. So this starts a problem because the British authority on the island um, is called upon to make a decision about the punishment of Lyman Cutler. But Lyman refuses to accept the British authority, and appeals to his fellow Americans in the Washington Territory who send, you know, who send some sort of cop or military adjutant to come up and represent the Americans. And then the British send more people. And pretty soon it's a standoff. Oh, man. And it becomes an armed standoff. And it keeps escalating until on the American side, there are 500 soldiers who have come up from Fort Vancouver down on the Columbia River. Fort Vancouver, I might add, which had formerly been the barracks of like, Captain Ulysses S. Grant, who then later became really uh, famous. Is Fort Vancouver so, where, uh, you know, where Vancouver, Washington is today? Is it on the mouth of the, toward the mouth of the Columbia? It's on the Washington. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's right there. there Fort Vancouver survives. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a log cabin there called Grant's House, but he didn't actually live in it. But that's oh. what they call it because, you know. Because he's the most famous that's right. guy in the neighborhood. So he kind of made his bones on the West Coast, Grant, although got disgusted with the military and quit the military for 10 years or something, uh, like in 1853, and then rejoined. After his 10-year drunken blackout was over. <laughs> right. Rejoined. Became the, you know, commanding general of the Union armies. What, what year is this that the pig is rooting in the, tib- the potatoes? So the pig is rooting in the potatoes in 1859. Oh, wow. Uh, quite, so we're, I don't want to spoil anything, but we're on the verge of a major, major war. Well, and this is the problem, right? Because the United States is distracted by this looming civil war. And the government and really the state has no energy to direct to this, let's say, minor border dispute Just about little island. some islands up in the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Right. And so, so this becomes a protracted standoff. I should say that opposing the 500 U.S. soldiers who had all of 14 cannons arrayed on the beach— on San Juan Island. The that British, seems, am I supposed to think that's a low number of cannons? That seems pretty good. That's a lot of cannons. That seems like a lot of cannons. Except the British showed up with five warships, which they parked off the shore. Whoa. Uh, bringing uh, with, a gun to a knife fight. With like 2,100 Royal Marines ready to 
like wipe the Americans off the face of the island. So the British, I guess, have men to spare here. They're not in a war somewhere else. They can right. they can send a whole detachment to British Canada for one island. And at a certain point, I think, the governor of Vancouver Island instructed the British general to attack the Americans and, <laughs> and, and destroy them. And the general himself refused the order. Wow. Because he said he would not kill anyone over the death of a pig. So they were all aware. They knew how this started. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that it's this, uh, the pig eating the potatoes thing. It's the kind of thing that would be more likely, you know, to spark uh, in our era, a sitcom episode, like a, it's a Green Acres <laughs> episode, or it's an argument on nextdoor.com. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a comical suburban mix up. But at the time, I mean, this is kind of Hatfields and McCoys, right? This is a time when a blood feud could extend through generations of hill people shooting each other back and forth over somebody's spilled moonshine or, or one dead pig. And it's, it's true that well into the 20th century, you know, as long as there's some kind of underlying tension that a war can get sparked by something pretty stupid. Pretty stupid. You know, some archduke who's actually pro-Serbian gets shot Right, and everybody forgets that he's pro-Serbian because, hey, an Austrian got shot. Now we can, now we can go to war. So, I, so it does seem like there was much a much different sense of like what constituted a real problem. But this was a real problem. The the British settlers and the American settlers were bumping up against each other, and who and who was going to decide what the law was? But I, but I wonder if they knew that it was comical. They did. Know. They had to because this general refused the order. But obviously, it wasn't comical enough that 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 the governor of Vancouver wasn't like wipe them off the face of the earth. There's still thousands of men encamped. So, and I, and I feel like he thought probably he could get away with it. I mean, it, it was pretty far away. Right. So they stand off and no one's willing to fire the first shot. And they, in their defense, you think some of these career military guys would be like, all right, you know, it's our, our caricature of the, of the, you know, war solves everything. Well, so there, there was a, fairly protracted period where the two groups of troops, the British on their warships and the Americans on land taunted each other, like through insults at one another, trying to get the other to fire first because neither side was authorized to fire first only in defense. And so they sat and like, Hey, your mom's got a big nose or whatever <laughs> at each other. And nobody took the bait. And in, in, in hopes that they would be able to retaliate. So, yeah. So right. there are there are troops who want to, they're, they're fed up. Oh, yeah. They Everybody's, they're pointing guns at each other. They want somebody to, you know, all it took was one disgruntled postal worker to fire his musket and it would have been an all-out fracas. It's hard to believe that didn't happen. Like, it seems like most of the stories in the history books are, and no one knows who fired that <laughs> fatal first ball, but years of bloodshed with the Seminoles resulted, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, right? the shot heard around the world. Sure, it seems like all these wars are, you know, just one idiot who uh, whose musket slips or something. <laughs> and uh, But in this case, everybody uh, kept their cool. They kept their cool, and eventually the British warships found other things to do and sailed away, and eventually most of the U.S. Army sort of traipsed off had other business to attend to. Probably in the Civil War, right? I mean, and, how, well, how long not, did this go on? Uh, well, so so what remained on the island were kind of equal. There was 100 British soldiers and 100 American soldiers. And eventually they started inviting each other over for dinner. <laughs> and pretty soon they were all good pals. Uh, because what are you going to do on this little island? It's a little right? tiny island. There's right. not a lot going on. So in the meantime, the United States does start to war with itself. And the South secedes, secedes 
Oh, I forgot to mention the American commander who took the 500 troops there to stand off with the British was uh, Captain George Pickett. Pickett? Uh, Pickett. Of, 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 the, of, of Gettysburg fame? That's right. At the time, he was in the American army, but he was a Virginian. And when the Civil War started, two years later, he left Washington Territory and went and joined the Confederate Army and then, you know, made his name famously at Gettysburg. Yeah, all I know about him was Pickett's Charge, Pickett's Charge. which my high school history teacher kept saying was the high water mark of the Confederacy. Yeah. But I don't know what that means. I guess it means his charge was so disastrous that it was all downhill after that, right? His men just got brutally picked off. Was the charge a failure? Uh, yeah, that's actually true. It was at Gettysburg. Lee ordered Pickett to take a hill, and uh, and he was wiped out. But but he survived. Pickett survived, but his yeah, Pickett survived, but it was a bloodbath. And later on, he was asked why his charge failed, and he said that he thought maybe the Yankees had something to do with it. <laughs> so he's funny. Uh, he's a funny guy. He's one of those funny Southern uh, generals. Yeah, they were all very genteel. Foghorn, leghorn I mean, accents. And... Too bad uh, about their lost cause. But uh, but yeah, they were all, you know. We uh, don't want statues of them. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. But no. it'd be good with a joke. Oh, uh, this is. And a julep. Uh, this is back uh, to, our, to our listeners in the future. This is back at a time when uh, one of the major debates in our country is whether or not to retain statues of these characters that were put up many, 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 many years later by apologists in the little town squares of these little burgs. And I think by the time you're listening to this, there will be no statues of George Pickett on the on anybody's lawn in Virginia. Possibly because all statues of our time have been incinerated. Well, can you say that about the Sphinx? Who knows whether the Sphinx is actually the face of some, like, uh... Some general, some, some racist slaveholder. Yeah. <laughs> Egyptian the Sphinx slave owned slaves. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners have seen George Pickett's head sticking out of a beach like the end of Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that's like what it all is. the time. Routinely, you just see George Pickett's head. <laughs> Damn it to hell, it's Pickett. Kind of, it's a meme. You yeah. really did it. Future meme. Uh, I was, I've actually been to uh, American camp on, on the San Juan Islands. It's a national historic park or some, some kind of something in the national park system. It's a monument or something. Yeah. And uh, the guide says that the camp was named Camp Pickett many years or Fort Pickett or whatever it was many years into the civil war. So Pickett is already fighting for the other side. Uh, you know, he's a military leader of the Confederacy. He's fighting in the army of Northern Virginia. And yet way up in Washington state, the civil war is so important that there's still a U.S. military post named for him. Really? It's crazy to think of what the Civil War must do to an army, you know, and half your officers are uh, like now fighting for the other side. Right. You went to West Point with the guy and now he's now he's fighting for your enemy. Right. Uh, he probably knows your Wi-Fi password. You know, they, he knows everything. Uh, speaking of which, why don't we take a little break and we'll be right back. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. 
Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So how long did this pig war go on? I mean, so we're well into the Civil War and uh, there's still a pig-related, there's a porcine standoff. Yeah going on on the other side of the country. This is happening way way on the other side and lasts for 13 years. <laughs> the pig war lasts for 13 years. It's a 13-year long war. They could have called it the 13 years war, but with an apostrophe. But pig war really rings out. That's very flattering to the pig. I mean, pigs probably don't live 13 years like this we're, one didn't. We don't remember the pig's name. I mean, I did quite a bit of looking into this. Nobody says that, you know, the pig's name was Mary Jane or whatever. Do we think the pig had a name? Like, would people have named their uh, their feel. swine at the time? Well, probably not grown people. Maybe if they had children. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, Charles Griffin's daughter named the pig. He might not have referred to the pig by name. Could the pig have been female? You said Mary Jane. Sure. Because here's what I'm saying. If the pig is male, this could have been called the first Boer War. Oh, that's very good. It's a very funny, funny reference if that you're is, into South African colonialism. That is, that is, uh, our future listeners may not be able to tell by your accent that you said Boer rather than Boer. Oh, do you, do you pronounce them differently? Sure. Boer. The Boer War. When I talk about the Afrikaners, the because they get offended if you say Boer they're Boers, they're like, no, I know no. many good stories at parties. Uh, right. And nor, nor am I a tusked pig. I'm not a Boer. I'm a Boer. A Boer. I didn't realize it was a two-syllable word I don't say. I don't people. think you say Boer. I think you say Boer. You give it a little <laughs> like, rawr on the end, Boer. Uh so, yeah, not only is this standoff there, but the border between the United States and uh, nascent Canada is still unresolved through this whole, this whole affair. And as time goes on, right, the, I mean, Washington Territory becomes more and more of its own thing. Thousands of people pouring in, probably. People coming out, right? It's, uh, it's separate from the Oregon Territory now. It's its, own, it's its own place to settle. Seattle is kind of booming uh, Vancouver is booming. So is the border entirely settled except for this one little yep. mystery job? Yeah, it's 49 degrees north all the way across from Manitoba. And then... Because there, there was a time when, like, the Americans wanted the border to go all the way up to Alaska, essentially, right? Like, it would meet Russian Alaska. Right. 54, 40, your fight. Right. That would be that would be a ways to the north, right? 54th parallel. That's got to be... That's got to be up there. Well, so there was... Strangely, this is, like, underreported, but... Even until after the Civil War, there was considerable support for the idea in America that there would be a peaceful Anschluss, basically, of the United States and Canada. I, feel, I still feel that way today, John. Well, I know, and I know a <laughs> lot of Canadians are feeling... I'm living in hope. <laughs> that British Columbia, Washington, and Oregon will become its own nation state. That's true. That, that is actually a local thing where people fly the flags of Cascadia, an imaginary pan-Canadian-American nation under the theory that the Pacific Northwest has more in common with itself than with 
right. either of our overlords in Ottawa and Washington, <laughs> respectively. Well, and mostly in, Ottawa. In fact, a lot of uh, a lot of our the futurelings listening to this show may be living in Cascadia. Are you citizens of Utopian Cascadia? Yeah. How I admire you, <laughs> Ecotopia. Be- because here in Seattle, it's just a a, a lifestyle accessory of insufferable yeah. hipsters. All the Soccer Cascadia fans. flags here smell like weed and yeah, <laughs> soccer sweat. Uh, there was a book in the 1970s, I think, called Ecotopia, the, the plot of which was this, that Canada, Western Washington and Western Oregon, and I think Northwestern California all seceded from the United States. And uh, the United States waged war against Ecotopia. They want the Redwoods back or That's something. That's right. But the Ecotopian military strategy was just to give everyone a rocket launcher. So we didn't really have a military, just each person got their personal rocket launcher. I like how Ecotopia is not really eco so much as like libertarian topa. And (laughs) hey, good good news, guys, we're all going to get rocket launchers. Everyone gets a rocket launcher. He gets a rocket launcher and he gets a rocket launcher. (laughs) Look under your chair. So when the when the American helicopters came over in the book Ecotopia, they couldn't land. They couldn't invade because every city it was like the Switzerland principle, except instead of like a 30-06, everybody had a rocket launcher. And so eventually there was a truce and Ecotopia. Do you know that famous R. Crumb comic where he walks through? Like the railroad goes through right. and then you see the cars and yeah. And then the strip this. malls and then, it, you know, and then at the end of the, the one that's popularized kind of ends with the most urban. Right. Fast food chain. Fast food and... chain. But there, but there were actually three further panels. Wait, what? That you never see. And the three is this like some Da Vinci Code of R. Crumb or something? Yeah, is this, this is real. This is like the the seventh verse of the national anthem. I it's hope like, Nicholas Cage and slaves are still good. <laughs> I uh, hope Nicholas Cage can track down these three missing panels. So the three missing panels are: what is the future going to be? Three possibilities. One of them is like total garbage, over urbanization, like gross decayed right it, it looks like blade runnery kind of it probably looks like midtown manhattan at the time crumb yeah right or mid mid midtown manhattan in the movie escape from new york <laughs> right the second version i think is like a spaceship metropolis style everyone is wearing space suits and sleek buck rogers tomorrowland right disney future and then the third version is there are giant oak trees with tree houses in them and everyone is wearing linen, like loose-fitting linen garments and living in an ecological utopia. Is this, this is obviously Crumb's preferred. Crumb's pref- Do all the women have lar- really large rear ends <laughs> in, this per- in his perfect world? It's hard to tell because they're in these linen, uh, these linen garments, but I'm sure they do. Big feet, big legs. And he, yeah, obviously he believes that if we do it right— we will... We will be Ewoks. We'll be Ewoks, right. Giant Ewoks. Well, I hope we're speaking to, to Civilization C right now. To sure. our future Cascadian Ewok descendants. Or I'd go with Civilization B, too. I mean, I'd it could settle be a, with the jetpacks. Yeah, jetpacks. We were promised them. Over the... <laughs> definitely over the decaying urban yeah, no, no, whatever. Yeah, no, you don't want that. You don't want the Blade Runner world. But nobody... The, the future is never accurate. Nobody ever predicts the future right. No. I mean, nobody even predicted, like iPhones. So I, I don't really think they're going to predict, like even a year before, nobody predicted iPhones. Right. So no. whatever it is, it's something we can't imagine. That the only thing I can imagine about the future is that it's, that it's something impossible 
for me to imagine. Well, time is a flat circle. It may be, you know, I've stopped using my phone recently. It may be that everybody throws their phones away and we all just uh, live in tree houses. <laughs> I like how that's the, the, the most outlandish thing for us to predict is a future where people don't look at their phones. It could be anything. It could be even we don't look at our phones. Even, even that there isn't an internet. What if there's no Facebook? <laughs> I predict we were speaking to, to future people who have no Facebook and like think it's funny that we think that's essential. It would be like somebody 200 years ago being like, what if there are no butter churns in the future? You know, can you, can one imagine? <laughs> How would you even make butter? Who, who is churning the butter? I think that the futurelings won't even have faces. That's how far I think it's going to go. No face. Faceless blocks of cheese. That's good. I like the, the bold future prediction. Yeah. Not just like phones will be a little smaller. Like the, <laughs> the cars will have fins. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> Well, so at the end of the Civil War, there was uh, now some attention that could return to, dis to solving this dispute. And there was, I think, a growing sense that maybe the United States and Canada were not going to peaceably join into a single nation. And part of the resolution of this dispute hinges on the fact that Britain, during the Civil War, aided and abetted the Confederacy. Right. They loved that sweet, sweet cotton. They did love the cotton. And they... Or they were just into slavery and were pretending to love cotton. I'm well, they sure. weren't. You know, the British... So sure, they'd already abolished. They had abolished slavery a long time before. So they were appalled by it. But they want breathable undies like anybody else. The cotton and the tobacco. Ah, tobacco. Yeah. When you got the... Yeah, when you've got the addiction, man. That's right. Those plantation owners weren't just making that stuff for local consumption. I mean, what made the South rich was that it exported all that slave-grown stuff to Europe. That's funny that all these right-thinking people are like, slavery is terrible. But the second they're jonesing for a cigarette, they're like, but let's take a second look. You well, know, right? maybe there's some upsides. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm traveling in Europe and some German or Brit decides to lecture me about the uh, genocide of the American Indians, I'm like, who do you think those cowboys were? <laughs> <laughs> they were Germans and English. Like they came here on a boat, immediately got on a horse and started like making some land for themselves. I got to say any German lecturing you on genocide has a lot of cheek. Yeah. You make a good point. You make <laughs> a good point. That's a that's a ballsy German. Good yeah. good for you, Franz. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised the lectures I've heard. <laughs> I went into a bar in Belgium one time and the band was actually playing the theme to Dukes of Hazard. Like playing it as a legitimate rock tune with with lyrics and that was singing singing it singing and just the, getting into it. But they were uh, it was at like a an encampment. The bar was on the site of an encampment where people were living in teepees, and they, they it's very mixed up. They get a very mixed message over there. Like teepees, like cultural appropriation teepees. Yeah, they were they were like, in like solidarity with the Native American story. They were eating corn and living in teepees, but also living, listening to Waylon Jennings. There's a lot to unpack. The European relationship with the American Indian is a tricky thing. It you really know? is. They love the romance of it long after it was cool to, to you know, be painting yourself red or whatever. <laughs> I mean, in France, don't they still call street urchins Apaches or something? Like, I think that's the French word for a street tough. Is that right? Is an Apache. These people have never seen an Apache. They couldn't point to Apaches on a map. If you, if you, uh, if you talk about corn around a Belgian, 
They will correct, which I have done. They will correct oh, you. Sure. We, who among us has not talked about corn among a Belgian? <laughs> because the Belgians call it maize. Ah. Their people call it maize. Well, that's true in English as well. I mean, the Bible has corn in it, but corn just meant grain in the language. Interesting. Until we started to say Indian corn, and then eventually we just dropped the Indians like we did from every other part of their country. Uh-huh. So now so, we just say corn. So Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. He's just cracking uh, whatever. What's up? He's cracking wheat and Cocaine. barley. And <laughs> it, that's a frontier song. That could actually be corn. Yeah. But when the Bible says, and the cow trotteth the corn or whatever, you know, there was, they didn't have corn. Corn's a new world food. The corn just meant grain then, the cow that trotteth the grain. I don't know what Jimmy's cracking. Well, it's on pot- that, let's, uh, let's take a little second to collect ourselves and we'll be right back. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So 13 years, this pig war drags on, begun this pig war has. What eventually happens? Not to the pig, but to the war. Who wins the pig war? Well, so At the end of the Civil War, the Americans sue the British. Uh, Now, I'm talking about the the Union, the reunited states. Sure, we we won. Sues the British for reparations. It was about the USS Alabama. Oh, right. Or a CSS Alabama, which was a warship that the British helped build for the Confederacy. And the British Navy kind of blockaded the Americans and, and really, like, not just aided them by virtue of buying their goods, but militarily aided the Confederacy. As much as they could, right? Yeah, as much as they could without joining the war. Which probably creates more tension between the U.S. and Britain. It did. And after the war, kind of unusually from a diplomatic standpoint, the British admitted their wrongdoing and said, yeah, we did do that. Well, they only did that because their side lost. Yeah, right? they did that because their side lost. <laughs> Our bad, you know. <laughs> right, the slaves. And all. Yeah, yeah, I see it. I see. I see you now. Yeah. I see what you mean. I know. Yeah, the American negotiator held up a book for, that said "USS Alabama, made in Great Britain," and they were like, "Oh, all right, right, right." We, we thought if we called it Alabama, they would throw you off the scent. <laughs> but. So there was the Treaty of Washington, which was largely resolving this question of of reparations for the the sinking of American ships and and the damage that the British did during the war. And it's named for Washington, D.C., I assume. No, it's named for Washington State because this was also, it was tacked on kind of how do we resolve the dispute of the San Juan Islands. And it was determined that they needed an arbitrator. And so in the style of the time, 
the man who was responsible for the original Treaty of Oregon okay. was, at that point, the U.S. ambassador to Berlin. Why, why Berlin? Well, Germany became a unified country. Uh, up until that point, it was just a, f- a bunch of factional duchies and margraves. Palatinates. I believe Palatinates. We, we discussed this when we were defenestrating we have. bohemians. That continued all the way up until the 19th century. And it was only then during this civil war period that also Germany was united under Kaiser Wilhelm. Okay. And so the American ambassador to Germany had this history in the Northwest. And so suggested that the Kaiser arbitrate the decision which islands would, how the islands would be distributed. That's funny. So in a world without a United Nations, futurelings, we have a, you know, it's not a world government. It's this crappy multinational body that doesn't work. But in a world without even an attempt at that, who arbitrates stuff? So you just get some foreign potentate. Right. You just get some sheik or kaiser or tsar to be your, because he's impartial, I guess, is the idea. Right. He hates Americans and Brits equally. There's some sense that he will not care and will make the fairest decision. And there's still this great man thing that, you know, well, he's the Kaiser of Germany. It must be him. You know, you don't want a judge or something. Right. You want a Kaiser. You want a Kaiser. Well, the Kaiser appoints a panel, of course, because the Kaiser's not going to sit around and think about this. He appoints a panel of Germans uh, who are going to deliberate. Uh, there's a panel of three. And what's at issue is the Americans want the border to pass through the Haro Strait. Which would give them the whole island, I guess. The, 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 the Americans then would get all Orcas Island, Lopez Island, San Juan Island, and all the little It's islands. not just the one island. The whole archipelago is in question. Everything. Huh. We're, t- we're talking about a very, very encompassing group of islands. And they do seem to belong together. If you look at them on a map. There are the, all these little attendant islands around Vancouver Island. Right. And then there are Whidbey Island and Fidalgo Island and Lummy Island. That South. Are, that are, and close to the coast. But these are right in the middle, and they, it's a grouping that feels like it belongs together. And let's not neglect, let's announce that this is still it is a beautiful part of the country. It's wonderful. It's gorgeous. I wonder if back then they, they realized what a just unparalleled Eden well, this they, was. Well, they, I think, must have, because uh, one of the characteristics of these islands is that they lay within a rain shadow, which is what we in the Northwest call an area like on the leeward side of a mountain range. And the Olympic Mountains, which are, uh, it's an enormous and largely unexplored mountain range on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington, they would collect all the the rain that came from the ocean. Clouds come in to dump their rain there. And then there's just this sort of small pocket of Washington that starts over in Squim and continues through the uh, San Juans where it's actually sunny most of the time, all year long. So my dad retired out there for that very reason. He's a Seattle native who is sick of the rain and he yearns for what he calls the blue hole. I'm going to retire in the blue hole, Ken, he tells me endlessly. So people not very far away in Skagit County are suffering through 280 days of, of uh, mist. And up here on Orcas Island, it's just balmy, sunny weather. I think Oprah Winfrey has a house up on San Juan or something like that. I really? Heard. Yeah. You're thinking of Maui. No, no. I think that there are all kinds of like, like stealth super riches that fly into their little San Juan hidey holes 
on private planes. Yeah, because it's so nice in the summer. It never gets that hot. It's nice and, warm, nice and warm. I don't know. Probably by the time our listeners are listening to the show, it's all underwater. But it was very nice at the time. It was one of the best things that was lost, my friends. It was pretty good. So the British want the border to go through Rosario Strait, which would have given the entire all those islands to Britain, and they could not resolve this issue. Well, so this panel of three Germans looks at it pretty carefully. One of them feels very strongly that the border should go between Orcas Island and San Juan, thereby splitting the islands apart. It does seem fair. Split the baby. Well, it's a little cut the baby, though, right? I mean... It's not a baby. The islands are going to be fine. Well, if you think about how weird Staten Island is in New York City, Staten Island is separated from New Jersey by a slough or a kill as they call them, that you could flick a bottle cap across. I mean, you don't even notice crossing it. But it's not part of New Jersey. But it's part of New York, which is all the way across the river. And so it was just one of those things where the New Yorkers, I mean, took it from New Jersey. And culturally, Staten Island is part of New Jersey. It <laughs> I'm sure you like mean New that Jersey. in the nicest possible way. <laughs> in every respect, it is New Jersey, except it's, you know, the fifth borough. So one of the three... That was a mistake, by the way. They could have been the best part of Jersey. Instead, they're the worst borough of New York. Now, wait a minute. There are some really nice parts of New Jersey. It's true. They would not be the best part of New Jersey. I'm sorry. That was a little kind of Staten Island. I think I just feel like maybe you want to be the best. Maybe you want to be the best in the second division, you know? Right. You know, why, why be the worst borough? Yeah, although the Bronx, I don't know, kind of in the running. I mean, there have been a lot of bad boroughs, let's be honest. At one point or another, every borough of New York was bad. It's Staten Island now. Uh, so the potentate of the three man panel who wanted the border in the middle was sort of steamrolled by the other two. And they came out in favor of the United States and said, we're going to put that border down Harrow Strait. We win. We, we, we won the pig war. We won the pig war. USA. USA. <laughs> we, we also got, uh, we also got reparations for the U or the CSS Alabama or whatever. What about reparations for the pig? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, by that point, all those guys were probably long gone. I asked the ranger what happened to the pig. And he says, kids always ask me that. We don't know who ate the pig. They must've eaten the history. Pig. Somebody ate the pig. The history does not relate. Pig is good to eat. That's I'm sure that's what he's thinking when he's pulling that trigger. Right. He's not just thinking I'm saving my potatoes. He's also thinking, and there's going to be bacon. For right. Dinner. You know what goes great with potatoes? Mm. Ham steak. Is this story hard for you, John, because you famously dislike potatoes? You're the last person in the world that would go to war over a bed of potatoes. I do not care about potatoes at all. If a pig was eating the potatoes, I would consider it, uh, I would consider it a benefit to everyone. A mitzvah. And it is a mitzvah. And I think what I would have done is go to Charles Griffin and say, look, I'm feeding your pig. Why don't you kill the pig and we'll have a big ham feast, the two of us. And then they would have moved in together. Marriage equality laws would have come much sooner. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a wonderful utopia that could have been. Maybe, maybe there would have already been Cascadia. Maybe that would have been the, the seed that sparked the whole, the whole regional movement. All it would have taken would be the deep pig-inspired love between these two husky frontiersmen. And it, it could have been a better world. Well, and I think within our contemporary context, it's a little hard to understand that, in fact, that decision was made by the Kaiser and his pals. And the Canadians packed their bags and split. Can you imagine? I'm sorry. The Kaiser says you have to move. The Kaiser of what? Of Germany. Duh. 
But, oh. I, but I live in Western Canada. Yeah, not anymore, you don't. Not anymore. Go find another island. Stuart. And so they just, like, of their own accord and, and with a lot of, I'm sure, like, handshakes all around, they split. And the governor of Washington Territory said, all right, well, all that land up there is ours now. And so go on up and get it, folks. And people and just... Oprah hopped in her plane. Yeah, people just went up there and staked some stakes in the ground and said, I own this property. And in fact, the British camp, um, a family just walked in and said, well, we'll take this. I feel bad for cheering now. Yeah. Well, well, Cause I don't know. I don't know if that's the right outcome. Actually. I'm, I'm, I'm not, the, I'm no Kaiser. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know if, if I were in his, uh, stern German boots, if I would have given the, uh, if I would have given the land to the U S if you think about the number of wars throughout history that were fought over the ownership of a small plot of land, right? The Sudetenland or the, you know, um, whatever, Hungarian revisionism or Palestine. You think about these beautiful islands and that sort of like peaceful handover. It's true. At least nobody got killed except the pig. I wonder if they had, if, if on the way out, they had a big pig dinner for everybody. It would be, it would be uh, beautiful to think so. If they didn't, I'm... I'm sad, and I'm going to hope that they did. I've been to British Camp. It's currently part of the same national monument. And there's still a Union Jack that flies there. So they fly Union Jack over the camp. And I think it might be, uh, the ranger told us it's the only place on U.S. national park soil where the American flag does not fly. Where they fly a foreign nation's flag. In salute to uh, the uh, repatriated Canadians who got booted by the Kaiser, I guess. Well, and you know, in 1889, Washington became a state. Canada increasingly was becoming its own separate member of, it wasn't called a Commonwealth yet, but they had, they started to become not just a British territory, but their own distinct nation. Slowly. Slowly. And now today, yeah, here we are. What we need to do is go up to one of those border islands, kill a pig, and then use it as an excuse to put our Pacific Northwest Cascadia nation back together. It's true that this war does, uh, it really does reward the wrong behaviors. Yeah. If yeah, you, yeah. All you have to do is kill one pig and you can get a whole archipelago out of it. If we had the, if we had the, the technology to reanimate a dead pig, I think that would be much more poetic. But as it is, I think just symbolically, like a pig's got to die before Cascadia rises again. It almost seems like an animal sacrifice, like a, a ritualistic thing, you know? Like, with the blood of one pig that I pour over these potatoes, I baptize the Cascadia. And that concludes The Pig War, entry 939.mk0511 in the omnibus. I don't really imagine that social media could exist in your time, but if it does, or just so you know, we used to tweet at Omnibus Project. Our individual handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. John, for reasons known only to him, also maintained an Instagram account under that same handle. If anyone ever wanted to email us for whatever reason, which was a kind of digital communication, they did so by writing to theomnibuspodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening, we obviously live in your distant past, and we have no way of knowing how you're receiving these messages or how long our own civilization survived. 
We hope that the catastrophe that we predict never comes. But if it comes soon, which we have no way of knowing, this may be, like all our recordings, our final word. If not, we hope to be back with you soon with another entry in The Omnibus.